Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. I really was most interested in the human condition and uh, human beings, what motivates them, how they can be happy and why, why aren't people happy? And I was just thinking, this is not the optimum environment here. What is going on? You know, we have this awesome product. We are kicking butt with PlayStation. What is going on? You know, the human aspect is really the most important part here. I was a bit like a uh, like a ping pong table going from one thing to the next for you know various years trying to identify what was going on. And I learned from Goenka through this old school VHS video back in 2001 of Goenka explaining how you should be breathing through your nose and allowing the flow to happen and it was absolutely fantastic. And I walked away going, "Okay, I now know what I need to do." Once you become trained, you've got the equivalent of a brain that is like a washboard stomach because you're working on it every single day. Caroline Stokes is an executive headhunter, certified executive coach, and certified EQ 2.0 trainer for global technology and entertainment leaders. Caroline is an expert on a number of topics, including emotional intelligence for recruiters in the age of AI, talent acquisition and development, executive coaching and headhunting, and workplace culture development. She's the founder of Forward, the first executive search and first quarter coaching firm to expedite the integration of all talent placements, and she also hosts a new podcast, The Emotionally Intelligent Recruiter, which interviews top leaders in the field to support evolving recruiters to adapt in critical collaborative and analytic environments. Caroline's been called to speak on or join panels about current talent technology trends at Pocket Gamer Connects Vancouver, VR Connects London, and VR Connects San Francisco, plus a fireside chat at the BC Labor Market Report Conference. Caroline is also a contributor to Forbes, VentureBeat, Undercover Recruiter, and Huffington Post. She's written over 70 human capital articles for Forbes, LinkedIn, Thrive Global, Undercover Recruiter, and Medium, and she's been quoted in Forbes, Fast Company, Tech Republic, Business News Daily, The Coaching Connector, and Monster. I very much enjoyed our interview today. She articulated so many things that I've already known myself, but I haven't been able to quite put into words. It's really excited me for all the possibilities in my future to apply so much mindfulness into a workplace that's evolving so much with technology. I think Caroline is an excellent example of how to do that successfully. This intersection between mindfulness and technology is very interesting to me. I think I'd like to have her job one day. I was delighted to find out that Caroline also found a lot of purpose doing a 10-day Vipassana meditation course. I myself just came out of one a week ago here in Thailand. I have to apologize for the quality of this recording. Still being new to podcasting, sometimes my microphone 
will go into a different setting in which it makes my voice into a high-pitched chipmunk sound, and that seems to be the case in this audio recording. I don't think uh, any clarity is sacrificed. Really, the only sacrifice is my dignity, but I feel good enough about the content of the words I spoke and, and the, the words we hear from Caroline that hopefully it doesn't matter too much to you. I know how valuable time is, especially for a woman like Caroline, and I, I felt like I needed to respect that. You have to put up with the quality of my high-pitched young chipmunk's voice in this one, and hopefully this is not happening in the future. After our interview today, she sent me an email just, just afterwards saying that she was proud to know me. I'm very impressed with the way that this very successful woman humbles herself and how much time and respect she gave to me, a 26-year-old solopreneur. She's such a gem for her generation, and I'm so proud to present you with the wonderful Caroline Stokes. Hello, Tanner. Hi, Caroline. It's nice to meet you. Great to meet you. I, I thank you very much for taking this time out. I really appreciate a lot of the work that you do. I did a lot of research on you yesterday, and um, you really preach to a lot of the values that I really hold about um, being a, like a student of the world and a perpetual learner and to be able to think in an interdisciplinary manner. It really speaks to me as a liberal arts student and kind of a, a world traveler and someone interested in education and how human capital can be maximized. I was in St. Paul, Minnesota at McAllister College, and it's just this wonderful environment that really agrees with a lot of your message. And then I, uh, I'm from Topeka, Kansas, which is much more of a conservative, traditional place. And I go back and they're like, really, you're just like majoring in liberal arts? Like you're not like going to do this certain career path or this certain objective? I'm like, no, I'm learning about how to learn and how to think about the world. And it's awesome. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? It's yeah. It's it, and you know what? And that's why you have a continuous smile on your face because learning is addictive, and it's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing for the brain. Yeah. So I wanted to talk more about like what your role is with recruiters and how that may relate to your personal purpose. Because my podcast is all about people of purpose, and you definitely seem to be one. So wh why do you find fulfillment and purpose in helping recruiters? Thank you. Yeah. So my background is I started off being very interested in when I did my business and finance diploma in my teens. I was very, very focused on uh, marketing and the business aspect and also very interested in HR. However, at that time, beyond Maslow's hierarchy of needs, HR didn't go particularly far on how humans can be developed. So I gravitated towards marketing and business and I moved and I had some great opportunities very early on in my career working for Virgin and working for Sony PlayStation, launching the PlayStation in the 90s. And it was great working in PR and marketing and brand development and all of those things. But throughout that entire time, I was constantly gravitating towards what motivates people to perform well, what motivates people to be happy, how can people become happy, how can they find the right direction that they want to take. And hey, guess what? If you've got a happy workforce, you're really able to enjoy going to work and not, not only enjoy going to work, but your performance will be will will come through and shine in the end and it helps you drive your career forward and you know the ultimate goal that we all have is that we want to be happy in whatever pursuit that we're we're making 
However, you know, I was kind of working out back in the 90s. So I was young. I was in my early 20s, mid 20s and thinking, what is it that makes you happy? And I was grasping at all of these different things. I moved to Ireland and I built a house with my partner at that time. And it was a great house. It was a passive house. So it was a something that was obviously going to be very good for the environment. And it was going to be no energy type of house. And I was very passionate about that. Um, but then when I realized we were in the middle of building it, I'm like, actually, this isn't this isn't the right thing. It's you know, settling down and retiring in my late twenties is not really what I want. I, learning is was was really making me a very happy individual, and I uh, changed changed jobs uh, and. Eventually, I I managed to do what I really wanted to do, which I was doing all the time, a lot of doing here, which was connecting people, making people, um, helping people move forward somewhere in their lives. Just through that whole process, I was very, very driven to, to doing that. And when I moved into headhunting, and I really enjoyed headhunting, I got to a kind of eureka moment where I was like, headhunting isn't the be all and end all. This is not working out as I had intended in my optimistic mind uh there's something missing and i decided to become an executive coach and in that process uh i went placing candidates we then coached them for 100 days so they're able to integrate integrate well within the organization that's a real passion for me because in all of your jobs i i moved into in the 90s there was no coach there was nobody to support you to kind of work out what am i doing something right my, I, I might i might have gone to my boss and said now can you give me some feedback and in those days, nobody gave you feedback. So I've got a, a bee in my bonnet about that, very passionate about that, and also very passionate about recruiters uh, adapting uh, their emotional intelligence, uh, even more so now, uh, ever since my experiences in the 90s with recruiters, they weren't favorable, they weren't positive. And I just felt very strongly as a headhunter that I needed to adapt and grow, especially in the AI age. So that's it in a nutshell. You just have a life story. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's essentially what I gathered reading about you yesterday. So yeah, I guess I'd first like to break down more of your personal path of purpose, how you kind of got into this role. And then also I want to break down what you do. So the executive coaching, emotional intelligence and the AI age, um, how you think about work and school sort of models. But at first, let's talk about um, your personal path. So why do you find fulfillment in your purpose when you're helping these recruiters? One of the reasons when we're dealing with recruiters, and one doesn't realize this when you're first dealing with recruiters, but when you come across uh, somebody, anyone, you could be at a gas station, you could be dealing with somebody who's removing the garbage, you could deal with a housekeeper in a at a hotel, you could be, you know, dealing with somebody on the phone when, when you're dealing with your bank. Uh, anyone that is in that kind of service-oriented industry, they're not treated very well, and in turn, they that is absorbed in their makeup and how they communicate with you. The majority of the time, not all the time, there are exceptions to the rule, as you know. And when they respond to you, they're kind of ex they're pre-programmed after so many years of doing what they're doing to not really connect, to maybe connect at the surface level, but they're programmed to just do their job and you're not actually connecting with them. So re with recruiters, that was the closest aspect to my heart. And also other people, you know, and all of those different people that I mentioned, if I have the opportunity to say, hey, how are you? It's good to see you. Good morning. I will make that effort with people because the majority of people will just go from one room to another and they don't connect or, or, or anything. 
But with recruiters in particular, after an awful lot of hindsight, they it was very clear to me that they are very unhappy beings because they are having to chase and find candidates for a role they're ultimately their client and their client is very demanding they need to find the right people for the job so i could tell that there was this deep 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 level of unhappiness there uh, and that's a very, very kind of catch-all phrase of unhappiness but they people need to understand what it is that motivates them, what their path is. The majority of recruiters actually claim that they only got into the job because they accidentally, they fell into it for whatever reason. And that's not necessarily the best claim to make about why you made a decision, because we are all purposeful individuals. We all need to understand what our purpose is in life. And when we say, oh, I just fell into this relationship, well, that's not exactly the, the the most motivational reason for doing what you're doing, especially when you're trying to help an organization move forward and you're helping candidates find their own destiny in life. <laughs> for some, it's different. You know, it, they, they make it their life, but often you can just tell it's not quite there. So my mission, my path, my purpose is very much to help recruiters identify how they can bring their, their best selves uh, to what they're doing so that everyone is able to move forward. The clients are going to be happy. The organizations are going to be happy. The hiring managers are going to be happy, candidates, and ultimately the recruiters that are involved in that very stressful environment. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, we talk a lot about, on my podcast about how intentionality really creates a fulfilling, happy life. Um, and if you're missing that intentionality piece, then you just fall into what you're doing and um, you become a little bit less passionate about it. Um, you maybe dream of alternative futures that maybe start to seem impossible. And yeah, it's really it's really great when you can have people at all levels of a company living purposefully and, and having a reason as to why they have this position and waking up with like a zest to want to contribute to their workplace culture. And that's a good, I think that's really admirable that you do work like that. Well, thank you. I mean, it's not a case of I woke up one day and said, how am I going to make money, uh, you know, and, and take that particular path. This was a deep rooted, uh, if you look at uh, Simon Sinek's, uh, you know, finding your why, it's very much deeply rooted in how I grew up and what my passion piece was. So this is a, a unique, there is a unique intention here to help a certain sector, you know, decide that they want to be a doctor in cancer research, or they w want to discover something new, you know, when they know that there's going to be a unique species somewhere in the Arctic, that they've just got to go and look for it. You know, everybody has their major desire and driver to, to do something, however uh, odd it may sound to some individuals. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any personal stories that inform what inform us yeah, on how you yeah. can your purpose? My my story about purpose, really, and this is the, the my go-to story because I remember it so vividly. And uh, the interesting thing about memory is that you only remember the memory that you had from remembering it in the past. But I remember it very clearly, which was to sit. I was working at Sony Computer Entertainment, and I was sitting in, in Golden Square in Soho. And uh, there were a whole bunch of people that I'm still in communication with now, and they, they were complaining about stuff and or you could tell they were dealing with some of some people withdrawn or stressed or whatever was going on. And I was just thinking, this is not the optimum environment here. What is going on? You know, we have this 
awesome product. We are kicking butt with PlayStation. What is going on? You know, the human aspect is really the most important part here. So that that was my eureka moment that made me really decide, okay, there's it's about the human. It's not about the product. But now I'm more focused on finding the right humans that can create the right product. So, or to cre- to evolve that service. So it's just still all interconnected, and that's what I'm, I, I feel very happy to be doing. So, how did you start to unravel yourself from all those commitments you made within Sony? Did any particular no, person come I was in your life wreck. that gave you permission um, to seek so- your purpose? <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a fairy tale uh, end- ending or story here where, you know, somebody swept me off my feet at age 26 saying, you should do this. You're bumbling. like, And, and I would say that this is part of the challenge when we deal with millennials that are maybe feeling dissatisfied with what's going on with their lives because we have this impression that there's going to be a mentor out there that's going to give us that insight. But you've got to make an awful lot of mistakes, I have to say, and you've got to experiment like crazy. You are your own greatest experiment. And that's what I did. I didn't know intentionally that that's what I was doing. I was just going from a bit like a like a ping pong table, going from one thing to the next for you know various years, trying to identify what was going on. And I had a great time learning about how to market various products, software, games, entertainment, peripherals, things that you buy, things that you, you may not necessarily want or need. It was that constant focus that made me go, okay, this is not necessarily working. And why am I not being persuasive enough to ensure that people understand this for whatever it might be? So again, that human aspect there. But I'll tell you what did actually happen. I was living in Australia for... And I was very unhappy with the role that I had. I was an executive producer for a um, an online company at the same time as 9-11. And, uh, and also it was the dot-bomb or dot-com bomb, the first major economic catastrophe. You would probably have been quite young at that particular time. I hear all about it. <laughs> well, it's it's a little bit like the what happened in 2009, it's just seven, eight years earlier. So around about 2001, 2002, there was the night, there was 9/11, and then there was the economic crash. And during that entire time, I was having my, I would call a pre-midlife crisis when I was about 39. Or was I 39? 29. Gosh, I'm getting my decades mixed up. I was about 29, and I was living in Australia, which I found, and I'm not a hippy dippy person by nature, but I truly found. Sydney to be my spiritual home because there you can walk in anywhere and get, you know, a salad, you can get, you know, everything is is really feeding a, a healthy lifestyle. And I just absolutely loved it. And but I was working in a very to- kind of toxic uh, dot com environment, which was, you know, we've got to satisfy our shareholders, we've got to make these things happen, we've got to try and raise more money here, and we've got to sell this lifestyle to the urban hedonists. And it was really a case of going, okay, I don't actually believe in the product, but I believe in the people aspect. And I can see that everyone here is unhappy, desperately unhappy doing what they're doing. And I had my big aha moment when I was trying to work out what do I want to do with my life? And I spoke to, spoke to somebody who was probably coined the phrase at the time back in just before the, just before 9-11, which was, called searching the hidden market, which is to find your role in life without necessarily applying for a job. 
And that's when I think I had my first big aha moment. The next aha moment happened very shortly after 9-11. And as we know, the world, or, you know, as, as you will know now, what you've learned throughout your life is that 9-11 really did change the world uh, or the Western world, Western society to there was a, a whole much less trust. And we were all very, very scared. And, you know, the, the rest is history. But it was, and so it was a very difficult time. And at that time, it was, there was the dot com bomb explosion kind of situation, uh, whereby nobody was hiring, nobody knew what was going on in the stock exchange. And it was very, very, it was dire. And it meant that I couldn't get any work because I was a Brit in Australia needing a visa and uh, it, a work permit, and it just wasn't going to happen. So I was looking at the whole idea of beforehand of, of searching the hidden market, trying to find my true kind of role. And that sparked something. And then once I got a job, and I have to say uh, on reflection, it was a, a job that was a, what do I call this? It was a job that was a an emergency job that I needed because it wasn't necessarily from love it that I wanted to do that job. I was sold on the, on the opportunity. But I didn't feel passionate about it. Like maybe I wanted to change the world with PlayStation. You know, there wasn't that passion piece. But nonetheless, I knew I was going to do and do that. And I had the opportunity to spend 10 days uh, doing at a a passionate retreat. And it was the best thing ever. At the time, it was nuts for me because, you know, as we all know, we have very busy minds. And I learned from Goenka through this video patch. Uh, I think, you know, it wasn't a video patch. It was a video back old school VHS video back in 2001 of Goenka explaining how you should be breathing through your nose and allowing the flow to happen. And it was absolutely fantastic. And I walked away going, okay, I now know what I need to do. You know, two days later, I was back to normal. <laughs> Because it's really hard to to maintain that feeling of equilibrium uh, when you're outside of that, you know, fantastically controlled environment uh, of being on a retreat. So, you know, I, I felt like I was kind of going back to it. But I maintained a lot of my calm and my purpose and my intention. I helped a lot of people in that time. And I think that's that's really when everything started. Um, but then I had a, a situation where I got pregnant and with my son, who you may have just heard walk through the door. He's now 15. So it gives, that gives you an indication of how much time has flown since then. And uh, yeah, the, the rest is history. It took 15 years to get to this point. Uh, but it's, uh, as we know, it's not about the destination. We all want the destination to happen now. We want the success right now. But it really is about the journey and enjoying and learning all the time to get to this point. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you didn't know, but I just arrived back from my 10-day Vipassana course taught by Goenka, also through video um, here, in, here in Thailand. Ah, oh, fantastic. So does he, do they still have the classic VHSs? Uh, well, now it's <laughs> digital, but like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, um, it looks like it's not highly produced or anything. He's just kind of sitting on a bed with like his wife next to him and talking at like to a group of people like on their retreat and then they're just recording him. Um, yeah, it's on YouTube right now. But yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like I definitely understand what you see about how you start to come into your purpose and then you let like life mm-hmm. make its own flow over you. Um, they call that Dhamma and then you, you um, go out and express your Dhamma in your life and life becomes more and more like fruitful um, as you're planting more and more positive seeds. Now it's awesome just to have another yeah. um, 
another student of this, another graduate, and, and hear your story 15 years later. Um, I, I'm only one week away from my from mine, and yeah, life has been amazing in just one week. I'm really excited to see where it takes me after this, but I definitely agree with you about how you, you find intention, you relax, um, and that controlled environment is really wonderful and, and also hard to replicate outside of it. It's very hard to replicate, and I, I remember trying to do it on numerous occasions, uh, but it's, it is very, very hard. There's just something really wonderful about that. You're in a cocooned environment to really just focus on that, and it really is a great gift that you gave yourself and that I gave myself. It really was fantastic. It's absolutely wonderful. But just, just as a side note, something for you to know, um, I don't know if you've read Daniel Goldman's uh, Altered Traits. No. Oh, you're going to love it. He talks about Goenka in there when back in the 70s. So definitely before you were even a twinkle in somebody's eye, probably. (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny expression. I know, I know. It's an old expression. Um, Back in the 70s, uh, he would meet up with Goenka in India. You've got to read the book. It's because he, he, he wrote the, the, uh, the, the emotional intelligence book in 1995 that popularized emotional intelligence as we know it today. Really? Can you repeat the name um, of this book? There are book? two books. The one that has only just been released by Daniel Goleman is Altered Traits. Altered as in altered mindset, altered traits. And the other one um, from from a long time ago, which is actually very good as well. And you're able to access that, I believe, if you just Google it, you can read the 251 pages online for free, is called um, Emotional Intelligence, uh, how EI can could be more important than IQ, something along those lines. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but it's something along those lines. And you can get that online. Yeah, as in to, you can just read it for free. It's And that's good. That helps you to... Or should I say that book helped bring EQ and EI to the mainstream? It's very good. Yeah. So also another personal story of mine is uh, a reason that I really am attracted to your whole story is emotional intelligence. And when I was 16, my mom and I were having like a lot of difficulties. I come from a divorced parent background and I was like really thinking about maybe changing and living with my dad and such. And we went to counseling. And the counselor was like, you really need to read about emotional intelligence. And I read so much about it. And oh, wow. It, it, grew, it grew me up tremendously to be able to, to see intelligence as being more than just like mental fitness and also ability to like look within. Um, and that's like a sort of an angler perspective that you're not really asked to take a lot in school no. and such. And so, yeah, like that, I think that matured me tremendously being 16 and learning about emotional intelligence. You are Um, very lucky that you had that opportunity. And once, once you understand that you, you have that, have that ability, it is very, it's empowering. It's hugely empowering because it enables you to go, okay, how, how do I need to react in this particular situation? Okay. I know that I might be angry, but let me just think about the whole picture. And once you become trained, as you seem to clearly be highly trained in this because you've been practicing it since you were 16, it's, you've got the equivalent of a, of a brain that is like a washboard stomach because you're working <laughs> on it every single day. And just imagine if somebody's doing crunch, a hundred crunches every single day, they're going to have abs of steel. So congratulations to you for for making that for being aware of that so young and for being on that learning journey is marvelous yeah thank you i've been far from perfect but i do feel yeah i feel like i have quality relationships that i have a lifestyle that really suits me um i have a lot of love from my family and a lot of things just keep magic keeps happening in my life um yeah and i think a lot of it is i listen to that internal heart as well as utilize my mind and that combination is Mm. pretty powerful 
Yeah, I'm really excited to learn more about how how you find um, this working out in the real world because I don't meet a lot of people that really value these things at such a high level like I do. But to me, they're like a permanent part of me. They're not going away. Mm. Well, I mean, how it's used in, in the real world, it's still, I think, a, a struggle for people to take that beat because stress i know that i may have a bad week for example i'll, I'll be i'll be really frank with mm -hmm. you you know i may have a hormonal week and that's never pretty <laughs> and it's very difficult to be able to manage that stress because I've got hormones and cells doing ridiculous things in my body. So, you know, the, the, you're going to have good weeks, you're going to have great bad weeks, you're going to have great weeks, you're going to have not so great weeks, but it's just like going to the gym. You've got to keep working on it as often as you can and to know when to say sorry, to know when to, you know, ad admit failure, to be able to give people feedback in a, you know, a kind way to be able to learn what it is about you that you need to be able to develop and, and take that path. And when you have some bad days, you know, not to throw the throw it out of, of the window just because it, it hasn't worked for that one day because sometimes things don't work out as planned. You can only do the best that you can do under the circumstances. Uh, but in the, in the real world, there are these interesting situations and I have lots of different conversations with people about this and I'll give you two different instances. The first one is that in the real world, you'll hear somebody say, my boss has great emotional intelligence. But if I speak to that boss, they'll say, oh, I don't, I don't really know what you mean about that. Do I? And so, you know, some people have that innate ability to be able to think about things in a, in a deep way. They may just like you to have grown up with that and they may not necessarily isolate it uh, because it all comes from this gut feeling. They may not understand that they, they're able to manage stress well. They may not understand that they, they have a really good idea of their own self perception, self expression, their interpersonal skills and decision making, all of those different elements as that are part of the EQ system. So, so when you come across people and you try and divide it up like that, it's like any leadership development aspect or any leadership development talk. People know, think they know who they are, but until you actually have an assessment done and you understand where you are and you understand how you perform in optimal or less optimal environments and how a strength can actually be a weakness in some situations or how a weakness can actually be a strength in some situations and how the how you impact on the other people, that is until you actually sit down and have that discussion to understand where you are, just like if you go to the gym and you're, and you're finding out what you need to work on, you're in this situation where you just don't know and you're kind of walking blindly to a degree. Um, or you may come across somebody that says, yeah, I've got great emotional intelligence. How is that helped? <laughs> You know, when somebody says, I've got great emotional intelligence, but you're upsetting people in the process by saying that, do you really have great emotional intelligence? So it's one of those annoying, interesting, contradictory areas, just like if somebody blurts out, I've got great IQ. You know, it's the type of thing you don't necessarily advertise. It's the type of thing that you try and work out. How can, how can this superpower help you move forward to have better relationships, to help you manage your stress levels, to, to create the best possible outcomes and to create optimum output in whatever you try and do. But, you know, with life, it's an experiment. There is no absolute formula and very easy for me to write or for anyone to say, yes, this is the top 10 things that you should be working on with your emotional intelligence. But the reality is, is that everyone is unique. Everyone has their their own kind of equation right. and everyone has their own built-in responses and triggers that can create you know different results so 
it's that the reality in the real world is very complex and the reality is is that everyone has the opportunity to adapt it starting right now it's just like anything just like anyone can start going and working out right now to strengthen their core so they don't have a, a sore back so Same yeah thing. what what is an exercise you'd recommend for someone looking to strengthen their emotional there are so many but the, i think the one that i think is most important and it comes from mindfulness it i think you, you will understand this from a, a vipassana perspective as well which is to just take that beat somebody that is able to stop and think for one minute if they can do one minute without thinking about anything else and saying and think to themselves what's stressing me out right now what what's what am i denying this is a question i like to ask myself quite regularly what's your denial caroline uh and often i get this unusual response in my head where it's like actually i'm really stressed out because this is happening and this is why i'm reacting in this way and it's not actually helping me <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes when you can have that honest and frank conversation with yourself and you give yourself that one minute rather than just distracting yourself with something else. It might be, you know, going to Facebook or it might be, oh, I need to do the laundry quickly. Just taking that one minute out and what can I, what is going, what's going well, what isn't going well is very, very, uh, can be powerful. And that is the start. start to me, the like it's about, it's about incorporating emotional intelligence into the equation of what's productive. Because oftentimes it sounds like to someone that's not, you know, not trained in this, that that's a waste of my time to sit there and feel my feelings. Like that's not doing anything, you know, to move me forward. But really, that's like the most fundamental integral aspect of what's going to move you forward or backward is is managing, you know, your stresses and your moods. Because in, especially in leadership, whatever you're whatever energy you're putting out is going to get multiplied when that becomes the culture of your organization. <laughs> Absolutely, because when you're in a situation, and and it, I, I deal with um, executives a lot, and there it's not it's not easy what they have to deal with, and you have to think to yourself, why do they put themselves through this? And it's because they have their own mission, they have their own drive to do what they do, and they're very passionate about it. But imagine all of the different elements that they have to deal with, how stressful that is. So when they're dealing with all of those different stresses, their tonality, their communication, whether it's in the written form or whether it's in the verbal form, how they show up in a meeting, uh, what decisions they make, how they process information and then recount that all of those different aspects that that is all about your emotional and social functioning and how you operate in those meeting rooms or on those phone calls or whatever it is that you're doing and that can create a chain reaction as we know yeah so you talk about how we have this um fourth industrial revolution um you wrote in your in thrive global the fourth industrial revolution is characterized in large part as change and adaption uh, those who remain teachable and qualified will transition into new roles that did not exist before. The ability to quickly pivot and adapt is critical in our technology-driven world to keep everyone moving forward. So what are some of these skills that you find to be important in being adaptable to the changes across career fields, and how can purpose be infused to support this skill development um, mm. as you kind of you know, manifest your future within you know, the future outside of you that's manifesting itself constantly? Okay, so the question is, um, how can how can people adapt? Is that what you're saying? What are some of the skills that what you find to be skills? important in okay. being adaptable okay. Okay. across all the career fields, regardless, you know, even if you want to jump to a whole nother one, and then how can purpose be used to support or leverage the success of these skills? Mm. So the importance, the, the important thing about the skills to learn and how you can adapt, the, the most important thing is not to stick your head in the sand and say, oh, it's not going to affect me. I've been in many situations over various decades now where 
people will say, oh, yeah, this technology is coming, but it's not going to affect us. And I've been in all of those situations where my eyebrow raises <laughs> and I say, are you kidding me? We've got to learn what is going on, because if we don't, by the time it happens, you and your organization will not adapt fast enough. And sometimes I kind of think, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to what they're saying when they say that. But I hear that with recruiters right now where they say, oh, it's just a buzzword. All of these things that are happening, don't listen to it. And I, again, I raise my eyebrow very in a very Spock-like manner if you watch Star Trek and say, you know, <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. You've got to be, you have to learn. You have to have a, a learn-it-all mindset, especially if you're Generation X, Millennial are already the, the best learning machines in, on the planet. And if they're, they're just absorbing and eating that, that information as quickly as they can possibly get it. And that's why, you know, you, you come across incredible people with it, the millennials, I should say, that have that because they have that incredible thirst for knowledge, they're able to adapt, they can pivot, they can go from, oh, I'm not dealing with Instagram anymore. I'm not saying that they would not use Instagram, but we're going to use Snapchat or whatever it is that they may change and use. They, they, don't stay committed they're able to adapt and and grow whereas you'll find that generation x are still on facebook they're much slower to change because it's just it's just much easier for one um and it, and change is hard so the key thing for adaptability is to be ready to adapt to have that learn it all mindset and to think to yourself what is it that i can learn today it's not a case of saying, okay, we need to be, we need to be ready. That could be a long-term goal. We need to be ready for whatever technology is going to be used in our company in 12 months time. Yes, you can rely on your IT people to deal with that or your, um, you know, your chief people officer to manage all of those different aspects. And no doubt they will do very well and they will be ahead of the curve in that particular aspect. But when it comes to your own individual learning and being ready for change and for you to be able to survive and thrive in the fourth industrial revolution every single day, learn something. The Internet is jam packed with stuff to learn. And I find that I can just get lost, as I'm sure you can on what is going on uh, in the news. And I'm talking about uh, not the news and in, with regards to world changes and because that can just depress you and you may not necessarily want to go online anymore. But you have the ability to go and learn, find out what white papers are out there, what new movements, what new changes. I'll give you an example. Today I, I did a podcast with um, a wonderful author. His name is Rob, Robin Hayes. Uh, and he wrote the book, My Cells Made Me Do It, The Case for Cellular Determinism, Free Will, Unnecessary Illusion. And whilst I was having a conversation with him, he said, you know what, just a couple of days ago, there was new information uh, on epigenetics uh, that enabled us to then find out. It's a new white paper that is out that enables us to make changes to human beings uh, by being exposed to certain foods. And, this. and apparently, if you do exercise, you're able to, to turn on 200 what was it? 200 cells in the body and DNA cells. And I immediately went, you're kidding me. That's amazing. So this, this is hot off the press, you know, two, two, just a couple, a couple of days ago when, when he found that out and he, he, he told me about it on the podcast. And immediately when I, I heard him say that, I thought, Oh my gosh, if we all, all have that learn it all mindset, even at 60, 70, 80, 90, you know, right now I'm, I'm 46. I don't know how, how old you are, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, if you've got that mindset, 
where could you possibly be? Where could you see yourself in a year's time? So that's, that is, I think, the number one thing for anyone that wants to develop a skill for, to be able to adapt in the fourth industrial revolution. You know, let's not have the fourth industrial revolution tagline scare the bajinkies out of everybody <laughs> and just say, you know, develop the learn it all mindset. Be, be hungry for it learn something new every day have a conversation with if if you don't want to have a conversation with somebody every day there's and because that's just too much hard work or you might be scared to do that don't worry about it go online and maybe share that knowledge with people um try and avoid clickbait because there's some horrible clickbait out there that is shoving out fake facts um and uh, there's there's a lot to learn and i encourage people to have that learn it all mindset because that's how I, you yeah. get through I think one of the best ways to learn um, through the internet is podcasts. It's like the most long form interviews that that art has seemed to die off. It's a lot about more buzzwords and simple statements. And this is a way to really actually unpack a lot of what's going on at a deeper level. Um, and it's something you can bring with you everywhere and anywhere. I definitely love podcasts. And then it introduces you to books you may want to read or uh, videos you need to watch. And um, it creates a dialogue internally that you then, I think, it starts to manifest itself externally as you bring it up with people. Um, and then that's how startups start and, and such. And yeah, I think that we have so many resources to learn it all right now that that's a really great point. And you're such an example. Like you are, you, you take in new information about epigenetics and then you, you all of a sudden just tell me. Oh, it so blew my I mind. Yeah. Part of you. <laughs> Oh, it's huge. And and that's the thing. I'm always having our minds blown. I was on the phone phone call to somebody yesterday and after I had done a, fo- a podcast with her and she told me about this new program that she had created. Uh, she has CEOs work on and it costs an absolute fortune for this uh, program. But you're able to identify in two hours what the dynamics are of your organization so you're able to get results that much faster and she had she has examples of very large organizations very powerful organizations that have taken 2 years to try and get to an end result and she spent i think it was 4 hours in a meeting room and got and expedited everything just with her model and it's like wow so many people doing so many cool things and and you know finding solutions even now yeah. So you, you're pretty pro technology about being able to supply us with like a more purposeful future and more um, adaptable workplace and more of a learn it all mentality. Would you say that you're very pro technology? I'm very pro technology. Uh, I absolutely 100% always have been. That's one of my, my passion pieces since I was a wee, a young girl when, uh, my grandfather had his Amiga computers, Commodore Amiga computers, and we had a ZX81 back in 1981 and all of these. We, we, we always had the latest technology. So I was grateful for that. And that's how I made a decision. You know, when you're 15, you're looking for your first job. And I, I went and I wanted to work in a telephone store because that's where you know, answering machines, you know, we're talking the 80s, which is so hilarious. When <laughs> this is before the internet, I was just incredibly drawn to new technologies and and how the technologies were, were coming in. What, However, what I will say, whilst I am pro-technology, I am not 
pro-technology when it comes to the creation of a plastic stuff that is essentially going not going to be useful isn't hasn't been created from for, for durability that can't be sustained from a performance perspective you end up having to replace it in a very short period of time so i'm i'm very passionate about organizations that want to create the right kind of technology or electronic products that are specifically created for the long term and that's why i really love everything being on the internet because it means that if you're able to stream a video without having to buy a dvd for example think about the expense and the costs, the footprint that it would take to actually build that kind of product, um, the CD itself, the packaging, how it's got to be shipped, etc. And you can actually have a, a movie streamed into, into, into your living room. That's that cuts, that cuts so much from uh, from an, an emissions perspective. One of the horrific stories, I'm really going down a different path right now, but one of the horrific stories about um, the technology but you know the consumer electronics uh, industry is that you just have to go to the consumer electronics show in Vegas every year in January and you can see so many products that you can tell it's just going to end up being landfill and it's just kind of bought manufactured for to see if it can be part of the craze a bit like the fidget spinners um, oh, yeah. and then <laughs> yeah it's like how many fidget spinners are now in the landfill oh my god and then back in the 80s during the Commodore 64 era era again this would have been before you were born probably but um because i would have been around about i was born in 1991 there you go okay let me tell you a story you can google this you're going to be horrified back in the day of the commodore 64 years there was a a game called et was related, of course, to E.T., the movie by Steven Spielberg. The game on C64, they had manufactured too many. The game bombed, as in it didn't do well, and they ended up burying, I don't know how many, thousands into a desert somewhere and this is you can google it you can find out you know the the the, the story the myth the, the unfortunate legend you know at the time you know this is you know dur- during the time of um, ozone layer issues and things like that but people were doing these terrible things back then uh, and so today i think the technology that we have now ensures that we're we're not uh, make that hard impact on on the planet like we were because through entertainment I, I think it's important to ensure that we reduce our footprint uh, so you know i am passionate about technology i think the way we're moving forward is is a lot more intelligent i think the opportunities for a complete immersion uh, whether or not it's augmented reality whether it's virtual reality and whatever that future as long as it's done in a way that doesn't harm people i think it's absolutely fantastic yeah awesome do you think that there's going to come a time where there's um, a highly emotionally intelligent AI system or robot that that, that kind of uh, makes these soft social skills obsolete for humans? Or do you think they're always going to have to remain you know, logical and hard programmed and, and all that mm. stuff? I'm not a scientist, so I can't really predict, but I think everybody's working on making that happen and there will be evidence of it in the future, in definitely in my lifetime. Uh, but I, and I'm 46, so I would say, yeah, in the next 50 years, when you take into consideration that when I first started driving 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago now, I, the, the car technology was, was kind of at, at its introductory phase. Now, you know, technology has advanced so much. So I I think 30, 40 years time, possibly, probably, maybe 
more than certainly, yes. <laughs> But that's just me getting my Star Trek head on, uh, you know, or my Star Wars head on about what the capabilities are like that. Will there be a C-3PO that, that can do that, that can turn on a switch and, you know, be emotionally intelligent for us uh, in whatever kind of form, whether it's a Siri uh, that's implanted in our head or whatever? I Let's just say yes. Because I think every decade we are amazed and astounded about what has been created and what has yeah. been delivered and what we are experiencing. Are you interested in the TV show on Netflix, Black Mirror? Yes, I do. I, I have to say I can only be very selective. I'm very, very – the darkness – because I'm, I'm an optimist, as you may have been able to tell. So. Yeah, it's very dystopic. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, there's some of them where I'm like, mm, I, I need a palate cleanser. My brain needs to it be It makes you now. uncomfortable for sure. It makes you very uncomfortable and it lingers for days and days. So I, I like lots of palate cleansers afterwards. So I feel I feel like, you know, my brain isn't going into a dark place. Yeah. So like all this stuff is super exciting to me. And I know a lot of people, my generation are really excited by all these like new careers. Like it seems like every five, 10 years, those top careers are just totally evolving into something brand new and you don't know what it's going to be. Right now, it's like there's a lot of interest in, um, I'd say, like cryptocurrencies, blockchain technologies, AI, um, VR, um, augmented reality, all these sort of more fundamental building blocks that seem like they're going to be carrying, you know, carrying us for the next 5, 10, 20 years. So how, how do you recommend someone get, get into these career fields in a, in a meaningful role? When, when all this stuff's so new and it's, and it's largely still Generation X people in leadership roles, how do you... With all this information at your fingertips on the internet, how do you find a company that has a really great culture match for you and allows you to, you know, really progress in your skill set to where you can be living um, in a very purposeful manner within a, within a company? What do you suggest for someone my age looking to get started in these things? Mm, I think it's um, I, I really like that question because it's it's like how do you get all of that that's uh, in a role that's meaningful in a company that's meaningful and so on and so forth and I want to go back to that example of of when I was you know ping going ping pong pong ping ponging across jobs and industries to work out what 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 was important to me and so on and so forth and that when you're in your twenties experiment like crazy and yes it is nice and I think sometimes it's wishful thinking to try and find an organization that is going to be 100% a culture fit. Uh, a lot of companies, especially in these new technologies, uh, in STEM, that STEM-oriented, uh, in blockchain, they are they're having a very stressful time right now. It, it looks very glamorous from the outside looking in, but they are. It's a very difficult, challenging environment. I cannot imagine that is a comfortable place to to live and work in right now. So it's one of these things where if you want to go into block blockchain because you're deeply passionate about what the future of technology is going to be in terms of fintech and banking and uh, you know all of those different aspects then then if you've got that genuine interest and you've got that tech background then you know start exploring and look at just look at the type of entry points that are, are going to be a fit and ditto in vr um, augmented reality or artificial intelligence, deep learning, look at, you know, how you are experienced or how you excel in from an analytics, data analytics perspective, how you, again, from a STEM perspective, the what magical, how you lead in that particular area and look at the different companies that are out there. Look at the startups. There are so many different startups in this type of environment. Uh, startups come and they go. 
And I think the kindest thing to do to yourself is to say, okay, this is not going to be where I'm going to be married forever. This is where I'm going to do my best work. I'm going to learn like a crazy thing and I'm going to do the best I can do and, and learn as much as I can because that's going to help me move on to whatever that next role might look like and just, just do the best job you can do. I think the, you're not going to get all three things in a role. I think it's going to be, you know, how people always want things that are fast, cheap and good. And really, you can only have a, have two of those things. I think it's going to be the same thing. You're going to have great work experience. Uh, usually that great work experience means that you're working very long hours. There's, unless you're in a an industry that says, OK, we start at eight, we finish at 4.30. You get 21 days of vacation and we expect you to take those 21 days of vacation. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're in those startup technology environments and you're in your 20s, you're working like crazy. I mean, I would work on weekends. Uh, I don't think that changes. Yes, you're going to be able to say, OK, I'm going hiking for two days. The great thing about it is when you're in your 20s, you're not committed, usually in a relationship, you don't have children that are going to take up the majority of your time to raise them where you're sleep deprived. You are going to be focusing on your career and really establishing for yourself what it is that you want to do for the next decade and what really interests you. So this is this is the decade to make mistakes. I made heaps of them. Oh, my goodness. I should have a, a whole resume full of mistakes here. Yeah. So you also mentioned like companies like GitHub and I think of Uber, they, they have these like mm -hmm. cultural faux pas that happen. But you, you also talk about how these problems or these failures can become an opportunity to become, it seems like to become more intentional and further steeped in a, in a purposeful work environment that's like well communicated throughout. Um, in your life, how, how has that happened as you failed and as you've experimented when you went into your thirties and forties? How have your previous failures directed you into, you know, still maintain your intention and purpose and your constantly experimental learning mind, but to do so with more, you know, wisdom to kind of seize the opportunities for what they can be. Yeah, I think wisdom only comes from a when you're looking back on it and go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't do that again. At the time, you're working on survival or you're working on trying to make that deadline or whatever, and you don't necessarily think about it at the time. You're just hitting the grindstone and working on it. Decade by decade, decade, I think how I'll help you out with this answer is that in your 20s, you're going to work hard. You're going to be ping-ponging from role to role, or you're going to be in an organization for a long period of time, and you're going to be seeking lots of promotional opportunities. So you, you, are, you are learning to grow. You are going through your growth phase. In your 30s, there's still more of it. There's going to be, especially up until you're about 34, 35, you're going to be uh, managing. You're going to be deciding that some companies aren't going to be right for you you're going to be developing your own leadership skills you're going to but again it's learning 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 you know and i'm going to keep saying this throughout you know decade on on decade and you're going to be building and identifying what what is working for you what isn't and being mindful of that is so important because if you're mindlessly you know going forward down a particular track just because uh you are doing it for somebody else or you think you should it's not going to work out very well and you're going to be regretting what you're doing Doing in your 40s and then you're going to hit 50 and say oh I'm still doing this and I was doing that when I was 25 I'm really not happy about that or how can I change and that level of change can be particularly hard to make so you don't put a lot of emphasis in insecurity like if you find something at 25 that gives you your 401k that gives you enough money that is like moderately interesting 
you need to keep progressing and moving forward. No, you have to keep progressing and moving forward. Companies don't last. Companies can lay can will you will get laid off at least two or three times in your career. That has nothing to do with you. The only way that you can try and get away from that tide of potential layoffs or whatever is to have that constant learning mindset, that incredible hunger to serve, and that incredible hunger to learn. So you are at the top of your game. It's competitive. You want you, and and it sounds brutal, but it. But if you're passionate about it, if you want to do it, it's going to be a joy. If you're not happy about it, that's going to be the indicator that says, okay, you need to be doing something else. <laughs> you need to find out what it is and find it out quickly because it, making that pivot can take time and that can be frustrating. So I'll give you an example. I made the pivot, I think it was about 11, 11 years ago, finally into headhunting and coaching. And that was a very painful first few years. It's uh, because you're you're having to learn at a different industry, a different set of rules. Uh, you're making lots of mistakes in that. And, you know, for, for me to be doing that when I'm in my 40s, you know, a lot of people would say, what are you doing in your 40s? I had a lot of friends looking at me going, uh, yeah, good luck with that. And it's like, no, I, I could be doing this when I'm 90. This is, uh, this is something that I'm particularly passionate about. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. So yeah, another question is like on the flip side of this, how does one practice commitment to a place when you really maybe think you're only going to be in every opportunity for one, two or three years? How do you, you know, a young, talented, entrepreneurially minded person, how do they learn to plant themselves and take take that risk as well to say, I'm I'm all in on this mission. I'm not going to constantly be looking for what where the pasture is greener. Is that something that you find um, is a skill set that's needed or is that not quite as important? I think integrity is very important. When you decide that you're going to accept a job, in my opinion, the equivalent of marriage and married people get divorced. It's okay. People break up. It's not the end of the world. Uh, but when you have the intention to perform well and you want to perform well because you're being paid, you're, you're getting compensation for doing well. You might even get bonuses for doing well. You'll get promotion opportunities for doing well. You've got to give it your all. You give it your all because you want to say at the end of the day, I did a great job for starters. Um, and, and being motivated to do it. You, nobody's going to hire you if they get a sense, if they get a gut feel that you're just in it as a stepping stone. They may understand from a career perspective that this is a stepping stone opportunity because they can see that, you know, you're only 25. I'm not talking about you here, but you're 25 and, you know, you've got your whole career ahead of you. But if they see that you have potential, and you say, okay, my goal right now is that I want to be able to do this, that, and the other, and I want to work towards that, and I want to be really good at what I'm doing now so I can you know, make those stepping stones internally. Three years is a long time for somebody to be very, or one year is a long time for somebody to be very productive, very productive. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, and, and when you're interviewing for your next job, whether it's an internal interview for, you know, let's say a sideways move, a lateral move, a move up uh, to maybe move on. And you're asking for your current organization to invest in you through leadership development or to train you or to give you the budget so you can be trained in a particular area, which will enable you to be more useful within the organization in that time if you look at that as an incubation time whereby you are learning you're growing you're being better than you were when you first started and you've performed and you've and your output has been even you know been significant during that time you've then created a brand for yourself to then move either within the organization or somewhere else within another, well, let's say with a competing company or a completely different industry uh, with the skills that you have learned in that process. So 
it's all about doing your best work now. If we go back to mindfulness and back to your um, example of meditating, you were in there for 10 days. And when you were meditating for 10 days, I bet you weren't thinking, what am I going to take away from this? Um, how am I going to move forward? You gave it your best shot to create your best self. You're doing the same thing when you're in a job. You're creating not only your best self, but your best output. Because guess what? It's like an award at the end of the day. You're, you're able to say, okay, I did this. I did that. I accomplished this. I learned this about myself. I know how to do better in this particular scenario. And I've made myself better. This makes me a well-rounded person for a promotion internally or another job elsewhere. Yeah. So also, yeah, I agree with totally with that. The mental training, mental fitness involved in meditation was very intense. That was one of the hardest things I'd ever done. You had to be very committed because it's 11, 12 hours a day of meditating and you don't want to just sit there bored. You're not trying to pass the time. You're actually trying to do some deep work that is going to translate to every other instance of deep work you're going to do afterwards. Um, but exactly. on the flip side of, on the flip side of that, um, there's, there's a level of, um, of contentment that you're that you're striving for you're not looking for a constant new thing to be craving and incentivizing all the time and i think like um moving up the rungs of the workplace has has that risk to it that, that there's never an, a satisfying end so how do you how do you find commitment and and what is what is really that as an emotionally intelligent person what is really that target end goal for you that that really says i'm truly satisfied i'm truly fulfilled doing this even though you're saying i'm going to make the leap to this next so and so thing mm, i'm just trying to remember the first question you've stacked questions <laughs> i asked too many questions sorry <laughs> okay which question do i have to listen to um essentially i just want to know how can you quell this desire to always want more um, uh, as you're moving up with finding contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction with where you are right now Okay, so let's just look at the the desire for, for, for fulfillment within a job. A job is it's exhausting. You know what what we do is exhausting. We're we're working on something to create uh, something. <laughs> we're working on something to create something. Gosh, I'm I'm really articulate now. It's uh, seven o'clock at night. So I think that what I should be saying in a more articulate fashion is that we show up to work just like when we show up to do our exams when we're at school or we show up to do something that we want to do for you know uh, we're, if we're making a meal for our partner or something like that we want it to be to do what it needs to do which is to sustain the environment that we're in so we go to work to produce uh in some way and that sense of fulfillment is huge. You know, if we feel that we're contributing in some way and we're doing something that is meaningful and meaningful can be as simple as just ticking a box. Okay, I did this. It was mindless work. But if I do this job properly, I'm going to try and get a promotion. And this is, this is the challenge, I think, with being young, uh, which is that we have in our mind that we want to do fulfilling work, but I remember working for American Express when I was going through a, a temping stint in Australia when I was trying to find my why and, you know, in between my Vipassana courses and so, and so on and, and getting visas, etc. And I remember very distinctly working for Amex, data inputting. And that was actually the best work I'd ever done because I was able to get home at night and think without having the stress of, 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 oh my gosh, I've got to be emailing this person here because this campaign needs to be running and, and oh my gosh, this meeting didn't go well. I'm not going to be able to launch that campaign until probably next week when I get everybody else in a room together and that, you know, whatever it is, I, my mind was quiet to be able to think about what I really wanted to do. So whatever situation you're in, when somebody says, oh, that job might be better, that job might be better, or this job might be better. Think about where you are now 
now and what you can do to make, you know, so sometimes they were just a dead end job. That job at Amex was a dead end job. I had no interest in career opportunities there whatsoever. But what I did find is that there's, there's a silver lining to every single scenario and you've got to evaluate it in the moment and see, is this a, short-term gig? Does everybody understand that this is a short-term gig? Or is this something that is going to help propel me to doing what I need to do? So I, I'm actually going into um, teaching and education sort of work. Um, I'm starting a master's of education program in San Francisco in June. And it's a, a very like immersive, full-on program where I have a job at a charter school. Where I'm an assistant to a master teacher and I'm taking university classes. Um, so I'm really interested in, in education Wonderful. itself. Um, and I'm not sure if I see myself as being a teacher throughout my life, but I think that's a very core aspect to, you know, social equity and, and such. Um, and I'm really interested in it right now. Um, so what do you think an ideal education model look like, looks like that prepares students for the real world that, that you kind of talk about, which is this constant balance of working and learning simultaneously? What is the perfect balance of yeah, like what's an ideal educational model? If you, does it does it need to exist as a school, or and if and if so, what kind of school does that look like? What kind of classes do they teach? And what are some of the things that are being overlooked in our education system right now that prepare <laughs> young people? You can answer one or any of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I love the bombardment of questions. Um, I, I think the school system, everybody knows that this current school system just doesn't really prepare people for what, how people need to, to just get by. You know, p- passing exams isn't going to necessarily help you in the real world. We have this debate with my 15-year-old all the time, and he's like, oh, what's the point? But uh, it's um, to, to learning to learn data on ro- by rote is not going to, to help you. But what, the great thing about it is is that he's identified that he really enjoys history he likes philosophy he's very good at maths and i believe those are different areas are, are very important uh, for f- future skills so so you know I'm, I'm i'm feeling quite content about that particular area uh but for anybody supposing you've got somebody listening that's very interested in catering or somebody that's very interested in baking cakes or somebody that wants to create 3d the the, the new 3d printer that i'm thinking star trek again that can create you know food uh, on demand or whatever it is look at the what you're passionate about and look at the different education platforms that are there you're going to come across uh online learning you're going to come across um having a coach that might be able to which can be quite they can be quite expensive there's going to be school that you should you need to to go down that particular path there might be blended um programs post postgraduate programs uh that help you work in in a very hands-on kind of way uh as well as you know being able to Mm -hmm. create um white papers on certain aspects there there are just lots of there are so many different uh, courses and a lot of fellowships as well yeah there's so much that i think that compared to even 10 years ago the the world is is anyone's oyster with whatever they want to do they've just got to get out look and see what suits them for their both their budgets and their lifestyle right now so they can continually learn and they they're able to to think about okay i know that i want to get into this uh it's probably going to take a while but rather than being coming disheartened with that 
what can you do now? What can you learn now? What course can you put yourself on now? And if you decide that when that course, that when it turns up in six months time, you don't actually want to do that and you've changed your mind, you can go change your mind and do something else then. You know, you don't have to be married to those particular aspects. Uh, it's all about being flexible and identifying what, what really is going to work with you. I remember somebody being particularly disappointed the woman had just had uh, had a phd in um, music and um, she decided that she was going to go into the ad, ad agency ad agency land and uh, do something completely different uh, because she had had enough of music and which is fair enough and it, it one of those things whereby it can be disheartening for all the people behind you that probably funded those people to that particular point but you've just got to follow your your i don't want to say follow your dream because that does sound a bit airy-fairy, but you're going to have this magnetic pull, whatever it is. And one thing I love about my husband, for example, I remember when I met him in Australia, uh, he's Welsh, by the way, he's not Australian, but he, he, he said to me on the beach one time, said, I'm going to write a book. And I said, okay, you go do that. And it was just wonderful that he has said that. He he started it, he hated it, and decided never to do it ever again. But the fact that he wanted to do it, he had that magnetic pull to do it and tried it and didn't want to then do it. And you know, I was like, well, no one's judging you for that. It's it's a great thing to try and do it. You wanted to do it. You try it. You make it happen. I talked to somebody the other day during an interview. He took he left his his creative media company and decided to write a book. And it took him two years to do it. And he did consulting on the side. He did it. He's now ready to send it to the publisher. He wants to go back to work. And it's like fair play. That's great. You know, people that want to follow their dreams. He did that when he was in his 40s. Uh, anyone can do whatever they want to do at any at any particular time. They've just got to carve out the time to do it. It may take longer for some people to do it if they're if they have to spend two hours at five a.m. in the morning to to do it until seven o'clock in the morning before they have to go to work. There are ways to change your life to do what you want to do. You have to make certain sacrifices. Um, I think sacrifice is too much of a, a heavy word, but that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. So I guess I want to kind of end the podcast with, uh, for you, what is the most beautiful thing you've experienced serving your purpose and living out your dreams? I get to speak to people like you. That's the most beautiful thing. Wow. That's very, uh, very endearing. Thank no, you very much. For this, that. this is my absolute pleasure having, having conversations that are able to inspire other people because a podcast can be to, to, to many. Uh, it's very, very hard for me to imagine 20 people. Let's say you have 20 people listening to this podcast tomorrow. Uh, and with those 20 people, they might have wanted to have had a conversation with me or a conversation with you. I don't have 20 hours to give. Instead, I'm able to have this conversation with you and, and, and hopefully inspire others to, to do what they want to do. Yeah. Are there any parting thoughts or words you would like to say to, to someone? I think my audience is generally people in my age range um, that have a lot of talents and things to offer and are looking for kind of where to plant themselves. Um, do you have any sort of wisdom to impart us with? How people can be more guided by their purpose and how they can find yeah. fulfillment in it? I think one of the things, and I, I cannot not recommend this highly enough um the, <laughs> so i think the, the the best thing if you've got 99 dollars to spend and I, I have no involvement whatsoever with simon sinek there is no upside to me recommending this but i recommend it uh highly and i wish this had been around when i was 
26 or 19 or 21 um, because I think this would have provided a lot of clarity and will have taken a lot of the the stress away where you're going, oh, I don't know if I'm doing what I should be doing. And it's very confusing. Uh, but it's Simon Sinek has a for $99, you can go onto his website and go and there he has the finding your why course. It's really good. Um, I really recommend it because it will absolutely help you to identify what what's going on in your brain, what you're really drawn to. It takes a lot of heavy lifting. Stay away from the wine and any addictive substances whilst you're doing this because you've really got to focus on what it is that works well for you. And uh, you come out of it going, oh, wow, okay, this is good. I know what I need to do. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, he's definitely a, a great a thought leader. That's been one of my role models watching him on YouTube, listening to his TED Talks. He, he definitely speaks our languages. Yes, he does. He's he's wonderful. So thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It has been absolutely wonderful. I could give you a hug, but we're in different time zones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we can connect again sometime more just informally, if not to create Love another podcast. To. But yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you gave me a lot of inspiration and hope for my future. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will be very grateful for the words you, you volunteered with and serving of your time. So really, really appreciate it. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, Follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, Join our intentional group, Purpose Seekers, from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 